Good morning. First John four one to six. First um, John four one to six. Test the spirits. Hopefully, we're going to finish up today the passage we started last week. We've been studying through First John, and we've been talking about fellowship. And uh, we're going to continue today dealing with um, the issue of testing the spirits. I think we got through verse 1 in the first part of verse 2 last week. And uh, we're going to continue on today, verse 2 through 6. And so I'm going to read that for us. I'm going to do a little introduction, kind of take a detour in that, and then come back into making some points of observation from this text as we learn to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So let's read. Um, be 1 John 4, 1 to 6. You can read it along if you have your Bible. If not, just listen, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go from there. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not Jesus, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. We sent out an email this week um, letting you know that the possible mature content of some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, and I'm going to kind of play that by ear as illustrations of testing the spirits and prevailing ideas of our culture. And so, uh, no alarm to you, but uh, we wanted you to know so you can make proper provision in case ears who don't need to hear. Um, but the reality is our culture teaches. As we learned last week, that teaching is the primary function of the demonic. The mission is not to scare you, otherwise they could not teach you. And therefore, it is vital that we learn to test the spirits. I noticed last night, uh, as, as I was uh, finishing up watching the horrid preview of the Falcons last night and their loss to the Tennessee Titans, and I was grieved in spirit. I turned the channel and to History Channel, and, and the title instantly caught me. And uh, anybody ever watch, my only nerd that watch History Channel? Anybody want to confess? All right, very good, very good. We're in the minority, folks, we're in the minority, it's okay. The title of the show was How the Earth Made Man. How the Earth Made Man. You wouldn't have to watch the show if you're an astute observer of the worldview being propagated just by the title. How the Earth Made Man. I said this to you last week. Everything teaches. Everything teaches. Nothing never teaches. Statements teach. They're made for a purpose. No one does anything for no reason. Everything has a purpose. Everything. Words have meanings. Which is, which is why ideas can be dangerous. Because words that make up ideas have meanings. And how you define those words determines the meaning. Is that right? This is why when you have a book, you have a glossary. Like in the back of my textbook for my juniors, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, there is a glossary. 
And it has terms. And those terms are defined. And how you define terms determines meaning. Words have meanings. And words and meanings have ideas. Everything teaches. Nothing is never teaching. And the greatest challenge for us as Christians is not to be unplugged from culture, but to be plugged in, listening, discerning, testing, and then being counter-cultural with the Gospel. Not how you dress, not, not what you put on your skin or, or whatever. It is ideas, it is thoughts, it is the Gospel transforming culture, not culture shaping the way we think. How the earth made man. The presupposition of the title is A, there is no God. That's the foundational presupposition is there is no God. And therefore, your origin is a bacteria of the prokaryote kind. And that's your origin. And the implication to that is massive. If you're nothing in your origin but a bacteria, you have no right to claim that you have any meaning to me or anybody else. Because your origin is in nothing, and therefore you mean nothing but what I want you to mean. And if I'm bigger and stronger than you, then I can determine your fate. And that worldview propagates all kinds of problems globally, politically. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The prevailing ideas that have influenced Christians' thinking and as a result how they engage their culture can be devastating to a culture. And I'll probably bring some of those up in a few minutes. I'm going to try to discern to what level I need to deal with that. So pray, um, if you pray. Um, and you know what I'm saying? Colossians 2, 6-8 to is a passage that, um, that's important for us as Christians. Paul tells this church, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, one of... As I thought, this, I added two passages on the front end this morning as they just kept coming to mind and trusted that they needed to be dealt with. And so I'm going to try to do that quickly, but I'm not going to do it exhaustively. John talks about the world in 1 John as the source by which we are taught these ideas that the spirits propagate these teachings. He defines that world system, and we'll talk about that in just a few more moments. He tells us in 1 John 5.19 that the one who runs that world system is Satan himself. In this passage, Colossians 2.6-8, Paul is not condemning the awesome discipline of philosophy. Philosophy. Phileo. Sophia. The love of wisdom. Philosophy is the study of loving wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Paul's not downing the discipline of philosophy. What he's saying is that philosophy that is not according to who? Christ has an origin. And he says human tradition and elemental spirits of the world. This word, stoika, translated elemental spirits, is a word used to describe the demonic deities of the Assyrian Empire. 
And Paul ascribes the source of philosophy and empty deceit, not according to Jesus, as being according to demonic spirits. Meaning, there are spirits who teach a fake wisdom. And he says here to them, see that no one takes you captive. Meaning, you can be taken captive by wisdom that is false. You can be taken captive by ideas that are wrong. We said this last week. Thinking leads to acting. What you think, whether you are deceived or not, determines your emotive response to and your practical response to everything else. And so he tells them, do not be taken captive by wisdom that is built according to human tradition And these spirits, and not according to Jesus. Meaning there is a love of wisdom that is built, as we talked about last week, on the foundation of Jesus. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Test the ideas. 2 Corinthians 3-5. Paul tells the church at Corinth who had many issues. Many, many issues. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's a stronghold? Is it a bad habit? No. He defines it in the next sentence. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What's the war? The war is to take captive the ideas that stand contrary to the knowledge of God in the person of Jesus Christ. If the idea is contrary to Jesus, then it is a stronghold. And that stronghold is destroyed by thinking rightly on Jesus and practicing Jesus rightly. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 22-26, which I'm going to summarize, that some in the church, he said, he's writing to Timothy, the pastor, and he's letting them know that some have been taken captive by Satan in their thinking and what they've ingested to do his will. And that Paul tells Timothy to teach patiently to help rescue them from the snare of the devil. Everyone in this room, including me, must test the spirits. Let's look back, let's pan out, and make sure we set this passage in 1 John firmly in its context. Remember, John is writing to these Christians who have been abandoned by those elite Christians who thought their spirituality was bigger and better and thicker and richer when in fact what they were believing was demonically inspired. And he is writing to them to encourage them to stay faithful and not leave Jesus. He has written to encourage these Christians to stay in the fellowship and grow their fellowship because in fact God is the definition of fellowship within Trinitarian nature. And we looked at last week and made a big deal out of the nerddom of the second person plural imperative of, Paul, of John's writing to them in verse 1. As a result of that, the command was that second person plural, you, all of you, not the pastors, all of you, second person plural, imperative, command, test 
the Spirit. So inside the fellowship, the command was that we are to test the spirits. It is a command that is to be fulfilled in fellowship, not in isolation. Very quickly say this to you college students. As the spirits seek to invade your thinking, think not in isolation of fellowship. Think together in fellowship with the Scriptures as your guide, and fight well through the spirits that are seeking to teach you. If you notice, this is so not in the notes, it's going back to last week, but many of you may not have been here last week. He says in verse 1, to test the spirits to see whether they are from God, comma, for. In other words, this is the reason, here's the purpose clause for why you're to test the spirits. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Meaning spirits teach through false prophets, people, folks talking, people speaking, communicating ideas, whether it's on a semi-trailer that drives by, on a commercial, in a movie, in a church, in a classroom. As a matter of fact, the problem here in 1 John is that there have been a false apostles and false teachers in the church who have been teaching false things about Jesus. And so these ideas come through human lips. Meaning, if it's spoken, you must test it. You must test it. Do it together in fellowship. You ever notice when you're wrestling with ideas that your own mind becomes a difficult battleground to navigate? And when you get with other people and begin to talk about what you've been thinking about, how it begins to work itself out because you were blinded to to something, and another person who's walking with the Lord gives you some insight, and you're like, whoa, that's the missing link. Testing the spirits is to be done together in fellowship, which is one of the reasons we're hitting this series, talking about fellowship, is it's essential, it's vital, it's not optional for survival, it's essential for survival in the church. So that's our introduction to catch us up from last week. So how do we deal with verse 2 through 6? Well, this first observation is again a summary of verse 1 through 6. Test the spirits in life together under the word of the gospel. Redundant but necessary. Test the spirits in life together under the word of the gospel. We are to test the spirits together under the influence and the definition of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Test the spirits is the command to evaluate the demonic teachings that are taught through prophets who either spread them unintentionally or intentionally. And so we are to test the teaching. Does it match with Jesus? And we defined that last week, and I'm going to hit it as a review in just a few moments. We're to test the spirits together. This is why it's essential that you meet together with some other Christian, somehow, some way. This is a point of application. If you don't have a connect group in our church, that's okay. Meet with some Christians. You need to be meeting with other like-minded, gospel-believing, Bible-believing Christians in order to work through the practical application of the gospel. You need to be an intimate person that's intimately connected to other Christians because we are to test the spirits together. Test the spirits in life together under the Word of the Gospel. Another way you can test the spirits together under the Word of the Gospel, let me throw a little commercial out for you here. Get some worldview training. 
Monday night, starting tomorrow, 5, 6 to 7.30, Hollywood Baptist Church. Brad Poston and I will be teaching our class that we teach every semester. Unity Christian School Worldview 101, 16 weeks of bliss. We will blow your mind, not because we're brilliant, but because we believe the gospel and we think through the ideas of our culture with the Bible and we use big words and big ideas. And we'll give you handouts and PowerPoints and we'll talk through hard issues because we as Christians must be thinking worldviewishly. We must be thinking on issues rightly with a Christian worldview. You say, what's a, what's a worldview? Great question. It is how you interpret the world around you. The framework by which you interpret ideas around you. You have one whether you know it or not. Everybody has a worldview. You're either aware of it or you're unaware of it. And the dangerous one is the one you're unaware of. You just make assumptions. Well, how do you make assumptions? Because you have a set of values and a set of presuppositions that cause you to assume those things. If you don't know what your values or assumptions are on the front end, you can't find the source of why you make conclusions. Sorry to be mildly intellectual, but it is important that Christians not be dumb. And I... Listen, this is important, it's vital. If we're going to engage our world with the gospel, we have to be good, critical thinkers. We have to know the issues well enough to know the details in order to engage a person who knows them better than us. It's not enough to just say, trust the Lord. What if trusting the Lord means opening a book and God forbid, read it? What if trusting the Lord means opening a book a Christian didn't write and read it? How else will we know how they think? You need to know the subject matter better than they know it so that you can speak intelligently to it. Listen, this is so not in my notes. Don't throw Bible verses at non-Christians. And they say, well, I've done the Lord's will and walk off. No, you haven't. They don't believe the Bible. They have no reason to believe them. Do you even know why you believe it? Do you even know that the Scriptures are self-attesting? Do you even know what self-attesting means? We just did that in 11th grade, systematic theology. We've spent a week and a half on Grudem 3, 4, and 5 dealing with the self-attesting nature of the Bible. Do you know that the prophets in the Old Testament said, Thus says the Lord, they said, These are God's words. In the New Testament, where it doesn't say these are God's words, they say of their own writings, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, this thing says it's God's words, it's God's ideas, it's God's methodology. And so they don't know that. Have you even read it through to know what it says? Do you know Leviticus? Do you know Leviticus preaches the Gospel as clearly as Romans does? You have to get some training. So feel free to come now that you're guilted. Okay? Um, if you're a Unity Christian School employee, it's free. If not, it's 50 bucks. But it's a $2,000 course for 50 bucks. It's value. Email me. Call me if you want to come. Hollywood Baptist Church, 6 to 7.30, starting tomorrow night. Get some training. Equip yourself to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because if we assimilate wrong ideas, we will begin to think wrongly 
and then we'll act wrongly on these issues. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Be aware of issues raging in a culture, in a culture that teaches. Be aware of issues raging in a culture that teaches. Anybody go watch The Incredibles last week? I mentioned that. Can I go watch it? Dude, it's easy homework. Go watch a cartoon. I do. I want you to go watch The Incredibles this week. Great movie. Awesome movie. It's one of my favorites. But it has ideas. It teaches ideas. There are assumptions made by the writers of the movie. Do you know them? Do you know why they do what they do and say what they say? Because it's not just, oh, this sounds good. Let's put it there. There's a set of ideas that inform why they do what they do and say what they say and do things in the order they do them in. Do you watch movies like that? You need to. Christians, listen, there's a, oh gosh, this is so not in my notes. I'm so rabbit trailing. The entertainment culture is so vital and so valuable and Christians do not need to disengage from it. They just know how to, need to know how to interpret it and engage it with the gospel. It's vital that we go to movies and watch them. Right? interpret them well because your friends are watching them and they already assume the idea is being taught there. And if you can learn that, then you can effectively communicate the gospel to them. It's doing your homework. Be aware of issues raging in our culture. I don't know if you noticed, but in the past couple of weeks, the issue of sexual orientation has been a hot topic. Governor Chris Christie signed a bill... Outlawing conversion therapy in New Jersey. Who knows this? Go watch the news. You know what that is? Seriously, it's vital. Go watch it. Because there are things happening in your world that directly affect you as a Christian. Now California has this law. New Jersey has this law. If a person is wrestling with issues of sexual orientation and you are a Counselor, you can no longer by law help them to not be that way anymore even if they want it. Even if they come to you and say, I'm having these inclinations, I don't want these inclinations, can you help me? They are now by law required to say no. What about Christian counseling profession in New Jersey and California? See... Many of you didn't even know that was on the docket. Those issues will become relevant in Georgia soon. Are you aware? This guy claims to be a Christian. He says he is a Christian. And yet he is signing into law ideas contrary to the gospel. You think we need to know this? Do you think we need to know how to intelligently converse on the issue? Yes. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Because when that come, but when that becomes an issue in the state of Georgia, and I've had these conversations, and they come to me, I will no longer be allowed to help them walk away from that. I'm going to do. What do we do as Christians? This goes back to Bonhoeffer last year in our biography. What do we do when there's an invasion of ideas on the kingdom of God? Do we obey them or do we rebel against them? I hope that 
That's probably going to go on the internet and I'm going to get arrested. The NSA is going to come after me now. They've heard this conversation. Marriage in our culture. I had a conversation with a student this week who's a member of a church who people in that church advocate Christian couples living together prior to marriage to see how it will work. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. You notice here, John is writing to Christians. Those outside have already been taken captive to do the will of the evil one. And it's possible that those of us in the kingdom can still be taken captive in our thinking and miss how to live the gospel out in daily existence. What about how you raise boys and girls? What about the idea of adolescence as a worldview? I'm going to recommend a book for you. The Myth of Adolescence by David Black. The Myth of Adolescence by David Black. I don't, please don't raise your hand. Please. How many people assume that adolescence is a viable, legitimate stage in living? Never testing the idea with this. You want to know why we have problems with 10, 11, and 12 year olds being pregnant? Is because we treat them as though they're seven mentally and they're fully physically viable. And when you take a fully physically viable individual and they have a three, four, five, and six year old emotional capacity, no, duh. You even know where the concept of adolescence comes from. I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to back away from the Bible, okay? This is not coming at you with the authority of Scripture. This is my opinion. You hear that? My opinion is that word should not be used by Christian parents to assume where your teenager is at. I've got one that's almost there. And the reality is that we must train boys to be men and not assume there's a middle phase. Because they are fully capable of serving. I've been in places in the world where 14-year-olds were shooting back at me. Combat hardened. Is that good? No. The point is they were fully capable and were trained to be men already. Why are we good with our boys playing video games until they're 25 and not working? Why do we buy them things that they couldn't go buy themselves and they disrespect it and we slap them on the hand? Because we treat them like adolescents rather than men. Do you know how to define manhood? Is manhood grunting? And killing things? No. Do I like to grunt? Yes. Do I like to shoot things? Yes. But that's not the definition of manhood. That's why we're Brett this morning. Hunting season's coming up. He's going to bow hunt. I don't bow hunt because I don't miss with a 308. I, I can miss with a bow and arrow. But that's not manhood. I can be a great killer of animals and fail at manhood. Dads, future fathers, do you know what manhood is? Women, do you know what womanhood is and how to train up young women? These are ideas our culture teaches. 
And they're there. And many of us assume them without ever questioning them. Test the spirits. It's not appropriate for young boys in the church to not learn how to lead in the church. There's an epidemic problem. And the problem is there are more females involved in the church today than there are males. Why? Because in many ways, feminism has taken captive the idea of spirituality. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. The role of the government. I'm just going to say it and move on. What about the orphan crisis in the United States and even Floyd County? I work as a government appointee for the county of Floyd, for the Department of Family and Children's Services. And I feel sometimes conflicted about that because it's not their job. It's yours. I don't say this often, but I feel compelled to say it right here. Follow my example. When you see me walking around and that little brown-skinned fella who calls me daddy, go and do likewise. And your tax dollars will be relieved. And I won't complain when I pay property tax every year. Neither will you. Test the spirits. Have we bought false ideas? It's not my job. I pay taxes. Test the spirits. All of us test the spirits. Ideas have consequences, don't they? If it's the government's job and not mine, then guess what I won't do? Anything. But if the Bible tells me the role of the government and that role of the government doesn't contain any of those things, then guess what? As a Christian, I'm compelled to do the things that's not the government's job. Test the spirits. Observation number two. Beware of the spirit of Antichrist. John tells us in 1 John 2.18 that many Antichrists have already come. What is Antichrist? Simple definition. You ready? Antichrist against Jesus. Spirit of Antichrist stands opposed to Jesus. Antichrist against Christ. John says the spirit of Antichrist has come and many Antichrists are in the world. And he says here in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Last week we talked about what it was to agree with the incarnation. Remember that? It wasn't simply saying, yes, Jesus has come in the flesh. It is believing that with the mind, feeling it with the emotions, and acting upon it volitionally. And we gave a few ideas of what it means to agree with the coming of Jesus in the flesh, which is the opposite of Antichrist. These are the things Antichrist stands opposed to. We agree with the identity of Jesus as the eternal prophet, priest, and king. He truly is the one who speaks God's word rightly. He is the one who represents me before Father and He is King of my life. Antichrist says His words are false. You're not loved by God. Jesus wasn't enough. And do whatever you want. We agree with the mission of Jesus. 
testify to the truth to bring Father glory through His death in our place for our sin to satisfy the Father's wrath on the rebellion and to die for sinners and rise for their salvation and Father's glory. Antichrist says Jesus didn't speak words of truth. His words are incomplete. Jesus' mission was you, not the Father. Jesus was man, not God. Jesus doesn't get angry. We agree with the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus appoints elders and pastors to rule, and they are His representatives. Antichrist, you're your own God. Do whatever you want. Think whatever you want. We agree with the practicality of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the rebellion. Jesus is the answer for sin. Antichrist, we can't fix that with Jesus. Jesus isn't relevant to that issue. We need other methods. Beware the spirit of Antichrist. Third observation. Antichrist speaks from the world system operated by Satan. Antichrist speaks from the world system operated by Satan. 1 John 5.19 tells us that this world system is operated by Satan. Not meaning the universe, gravity, planetary movement, the sun. World meaning the world system as defined in 1 John 2.15-17. Remember way back when we talked about that world system? What is that? It is... Let's just turn there. 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or the things in the world, not speaking about the created order. We're to be stewards of the created order and love it, speaking the world system. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a strong statement, is it not? For all that is in the world, and here's where he defines the world system, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the world system? It's the desires of the flesh, the fallen nature of man, the desires of his eyes, what he sees ruling his affections, and then his pride in his possessions. John says that is the world system. That is what is operated by the evil one. And it's that world system that Antichrist speaks from. You ever notice your greatest struggles come from issues of your fallen nature? You don't think rightly. You don't feel rightly on things. You see things. You see things maybe you want and you pursue them and realize they weren't all that they were cracked up to be. And then when you get them, you hoard them because you take pride in them and they become your little deities. You ever notice those things? This is not an issue of have versus have not. This is not an issue of desiring things, seeing them, and going and getting them. This isn't have versus have not. Luke twelve fifteen. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The idea of the world system isn't a have versus a have-not issue. Have-nots can be as allured by having and never getting, and the constant striving to have lures them away from Jesus. 
Those who have can be the most generous and gracious people around. They've been faithful. They're givers, not takers. And they produce abundance for others. It's not a have versus have not issue. It is a flesh desire and eye seeing desire and taking pride in that. You notice what's missing? Jesus. In other words, the world system focuses on me, myself, I, mankind in general, missing Jesus' rulership, kingship, and authority over all of it. Antichrist speaks from this world system and he operates it well. How do you know? How many of you got these because it really was necessary? Think we could live without it? I hate it. I had a little revelation last night. Facebook causes me stress. And if my mind doesn't change by some time before midnight tonight, I'm probably just going to delete it. Not being spiritual, but just it stresses my rear end out. I'm done. Why do I... I mean, I'm not saying... Unfortunately, it's necessary to keep up with so much. But do I do I need... Why? And, and you know what? When I saw that five... How many saw the five and go, oh, my 4S isn't enough? Right? I didn't we? I'm like already figuring out, conniving. When the 5S comes out and the five goes down to $99, if I can sell a couple pints of blood and get one, man, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> right? And there's nothing wrong with having things. The point isn't have versus have not. The point is, am I lured? Am I, am I buying into the... To the, to the system, am I buying into the lie that I can focus on me, I can focus on I, I can focus on this and end up missing Jesus? If I spend as much time talking about Jesus as I do on that, I'd be dangerous. Make sure your flesh, your eyes, and your pride are in check. Bottom line. Make sure your flesh, your eyes, and your pride are in check. Fourth observation. Those deceived by Antichrist listen to, live out, and are disciples of the world system. Listen to verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Who are they? Those who believe the world system, those who believe the spirits and are living it out. Those who have bought the lie, those who are deceived by the spirits, who aren't discerning the spirits, listen to, live out, and are disciples of the world system. Do you realize that we are all disciples of something? There's no such thing as a non-disciple. Every single one of us is a disciple of something. That is, you follow some system of authority. You bow the knee to something. Everyone is ruled by a system of beliefs and ideas that form the basis of authority from which you make decisions. Who or what are you a disciple of? Is it a world system that is compelled by my flesh and my eyes and my pride? Test the spirits. Test the spirits together. What are we a disciple of? Five. Observation five, and we're going to conclude. Followers of Jesus overcome because we have spirit living in us. Verse four and verse six. Little children. Love how John refers to them as little children. Beloved and little children. Beloved and little children. Loved ones. 
and little children in the faith. He loved the people he wrote to. You have come from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Followers of Jesus overcome because we have spirit living within us. Verse 4, let me get nerdy with you one more time, is the perfect tense. When he says in verse 4, little children, you're from God and have overcome them. That you have overcome them is the perfect tense. We don't have that tense in English. It exists in Greek. And the perfect tense is a completed, done, and continuing action. That is, it's done, it's fixed, and the continuation of that fixed reality follows through unstoppably. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have overcome. Why have we overcome? Because the Spirit He placed in us. The fixed reality is those who follow Jesus have the Spirit living within them. And as a result, we can discern truth from error. And we overcome and we never turn from Jesus. Followers of Jesus are from God. Those who bend the knee to Jesus are from God. Followers of Jesus overcome the world system and its lies by the grace of the Lord's help and by disciplined learning and critical thinking skills. Listen, God uses good preparation. The idea of flying by the seat of your pants and calling it being spirit-led is a failure to trust the Lord even in planning. I'll quote a little John Piper here for you. Spontaneity grows in the garden of discipline. Followers of Jesus overcome the world system by good preparation. You read, you study, you think, you become a good critical thinker. You evaluate. Because Spirit will help you be a good learner. I've said it before and you probably get sick of hearing it. If he can take a dyslexic Pepperell graduate and teach them to be a critical thinker, no one has an excuse. Because it's not me. It's Spirit who dwells in me. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Followers of Jesus, listen to other disciplined followers of Jesus. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Followers of Jesus, listen to other disciplined followers of Jesus. Conclusion, make sure you're in fellowship. Secondly, make sure you're equipped at thinking Christianly about all things. Poston says it like this, make sure you think Christianly about brushing your teeth. Make sure you can think Christianly about all things. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and training that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Believe that? Learn to think Christianly. My elementary school kids, I say, where do you find truth? And they all scream with gusto, it's in the manual. Why? Because it's in the manual. 
Think Christianly about all things. Make sure you plow through societal issues together with Scripture in hand and refining your thinking on issues according to biblical ideas. Hey, here's you a small group idea. Get out the newspaper and discuss the news together from a Christian perspective. Give it a whirl. Five, and lastly, invade the kingdom of darkness together with biblical solutions for Jesus' ends. When you think Christianly about these things, it will lead you to action. It will lead you to do crazy things. Things that other people look at, gosh, man, I wish I could do that. Yeah, you can. You will. When we think Christianly about all things, Christians begin to act. And that's what Jesus called salt and light. Test the spirits. Let's pray. Father, I'm um, grateful um, for Holy Spirit counseling, guiding into truth. I ask now that you would continue to counsel and guide into truth. I ask that you would fill and strengthen. I ask that you would grant your people discernment to think rightly about all things. Would you convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment? I ask that you would move your people to make much of you. Anything that has exited these lips that do not exalt Jesus, would you shut it off from the, ministry, from the, from the people? These are your people. Cut it off. Shut it out of their memory. Take your word, Lord, and, and apply it, please. My encouragement to you, as we always do, we sing because Jesus likes singing. This is for Him. And so would you make much of Jesus as we sing together? And as there is ministry that needs to be done, prayer for each other, serve one another through the gospel for Jesus' glory.